Let me say this, and then we'll... Uh, I was thinking about that song, and, you know, I don't know, you know, at some point when you're growing up, you realize that your dad can't beat up everybody else's dad. I don't know when that happens for you, but at some point you realize that's just, that he can't fix everything. And maybe when you're young, you think, well, he can. He can handle anything, he can fix anything, he can make it everything else, he can make it work. Then at some point you realize he can't, or your mom or whoever it is that you look to, they, they can't fix it. And um, when we talk about the Lord, he obviously is able to do anything. That song, there's nothing outside of God that can stop God from accomplishing God's purposes. But then we look at our life or we look at the world and we see a, you know, a cyclone or whatever wipe out 50,000 people or in your own life you see things swirling out of control and you think, you are God alone? What's happening here? that these things are going on that don't line up with what we know to be true about God's character. And I was, there's nothing that God can't do, but there are things that he won't do. And he won't do anything that violates our will, and he won't do anything to compromise his ultimate objectives in creating us. Ultimately, what he said was, I want people to freely choose to be in a loving relationship with me. That's a huge roll of the dice. And that opened up all kinds of possibilities for things to go haywire, and they have. But God has chosen way back when and said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to scrap that plan. That's what I want, and I'm totally committed to it. And so when that stuff happens, and it looks like God can't beat up whoever it is that's wreaking havoc in your life, you have a choice, and it's to choose to trust in God's goodness or to doubt it. And that's really it. You can choose to trust in his goodness or you can choose to doubt his goodness. And whatever happens after that will be based on that choice. If you've chosen to trust in his goodness, you'll walk down this path. And if you've chosen to doubt his goodness, you're going to walk down a path of independence that ultimately is going to lead to more pain. Anyway, the circumstances might not change. I don't know if they will. I don't know if they won't. I don't know how, when and how God chooses to intervene in certain circumstances. But I do know his goodness doesn't. And that's what he's asking. His desire is to be in a loving relationship with people. And at some point, that means trusting him, trusting in his goodness, even though everything's falling apart. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about for the rest of the day, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, get into this. God, it is a mystery, this You are sovereign and you're all-powerful and you're all of these things and yet you've chosen to limit yourself in terms of dealing with us and honoring the choices that we make. And I pray, God, for any here who are struggling, who are looking at life and saying, I'm not if you're God alone, I'm not sure that's the car I want to be riding in. God, I pray that today they would choose to trust in your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that you would reveal your goodness to them in spite of the circumstances even, that there would just be this sense in their heart that you're a good father and that they can trust in you. And even um, with trembling, that choice would be made this morning to put trust in you and, God, that you would honor that trust. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Daniel 3. Um, We've been talking for the past few weeks about uh, being conformed into the image of Jesus. We've said that's what God's desire is for us, and we've kind of been going through some stuff. We said that God's the potter and we're the clay. We've used this vase 
over here, I'm not going to go get it this week, that vase over there kind of is our visual and saying, you know, God wants to form us into this beautiful work that looks like Jesus and we're somewhere in between a lump of clay and that vase. And we're somewhere in process. He's the potter, we're the clay, he's working. And our major responsibility is just to cooperate with him, to respond to what he's doing in our life. We talked about the importance of hearing God. We can't respond to him, we can't hear him. We talked about... Um, Last week, we looked at one of the major obstacles to really being conformed into the image of Jesus, which is when we don't really line up with him. Sometimes we kind of, where us and Jesus are headed in the same direction, so we're kind of walking with each other, but we're not really following him. We haven't really lined up our life with his life. We just happen to be going in the same direction. And at some point, we're, we're going to part ways. We just don't realize that's what's going on because we think we're headed in the same direction. We both want good kids, so we're just walking next to each other. We both want to figure out what to do with my life, so we're kind of walking next to each other, but there hasn't been a decision on my part to say, you know what, I'm going to line up beneath or behind God's plan for my life. So we talked about that last week. We've talked about giving as one of the ways that God shapes us. Today we're going to look at another tool that we give the Lord that he then uses to shape us. Let me uh, read this little newspaper article first. Chinese man, I'm going to butcher all of these names, Liu Yi, 39, has married a foam cutout of himself. You can put that picture up there, Jillian. In a ceremony in Zhuhai City, Liu Yi, 39, from Zhuhai City, married a life-size foam cutout of himself wearing a woman's bridal dress. This is the best picture I could get. It's not great. That's him standing up, and then the person in the red is uh, him also in a dress. Foam cutout. This is what he says. There are many reasons for marrying myself, but mainly to express my dissatisfaction with reality. He said, that's what I do when I'm dissatisfied also. He said, this marriage makes me whole again. This marriage makes me whole again. My definition of marriage is different from others. The ceremony was held at a traditional courtyard packed with more than 100 guests. I read somewhere else that he went through the whole traditional Chinese wedding ceremony, whatever that is. It was a religious ceremony and a civic ceremony. The couple were led out by a bridesmaid and a groomsman and bowed to ancestors and senior guests for blessings. Liu says he's not gay, but he admits... He, quote, may be a bit narcissistic. <laughs> Possibly. You maybe have heard the phrase original sin before. If you've been in church for a long time, you may have heard people talk about original sin. And kind of the idea is Adam was the first person ever created and all other 120 billion of us who've ever lived. He's kind of the head of the human race. And because he sinned, we all inherit his spiritual DNA. And because he sinned, we inherit kind of a broken will. That's original sin. Adam sinned originally. He was first. And we, because we're his children, all inherit his spiritual DNA, which is a compromised will. We tend to choose for ourselves. We're all kind of uh, bent to make selfish choices. If you've ever been around children, you know this is, it's true. It's born into us. We're selfish people. But that it. It is. You can see that when kids are a year old, six months old, a year and a half old, whatever. It's, it's in us to make choices that benefit us. We're selfish people. Probably the best way I ever heard this explained was by um, uh, another a pastor at Riverstone, Mark Nicewander. He said, you know, if you've ever been in a grocery store and you've gotten a shopping cart where the front axle is bent and you try to keep it straight in the path, how hard it is, it tends to, it pulls to the side and you're constantly having to jerk it back and it makes that nasty grating noise and the whole time you're shopping is a fight you're constantly yanking the cart 
either out of somebody else's way or out of the KNPs or whatever it is that it's running into. You're constantly having to fight to keep it going straight. That's original sin. We're born and our axle is bent. And we, if left up to our own devices, we're going to constantly go off course. It's a fight to stay straight and following. It's, it's a fight. And you can do it for a little bit just by your sheer willpower. You can grit your teeth and you can kind of make that thing go straight. But it's going to bang. And the heavier your shopping cart gets, the harder it is to keep that thing straight. You get all that inertia and momentum and all those things pulling it towards the side. And the same thing's true with us. The longer we go in life, the heavier our cart gets and the harder and harder it is for us to manually keep that thing going straight. And when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit straightens your axle. And so he allows you to walk straight. And then if you ask the Lord to fill you with the Spirit, he actually empowers you to push the cart. It's not like you're having to do all this work to, to follow Jesus anymore. Your will's been straightened, and then you're empowered to actually follow after him. Original sin is that bent axle. And that's how we're all born. Another way of seeing it, I hope you don't think these are corny, but sometimes visuals are helpful. Bo, you go stand in that corner. Jason, you can stand in that corner. So we're all born with original sin. And let's say Bo is going to be... Um, last week, Bo was Jesus, so this week he's fallen man. He's, again, been demoted twice. So we're all born, and like, let's say I'm, I'm born, and just like the earth ro- orbits around the sun, there's our, we're made to orbit around something. And before we become Christians, we orbit around ourselves. So Bo is my fallen self, and I'm born, and this is just my natural inclination is to orbit around myself. So this is what I do. Some of the um, great theologians in the church called it, they said we're born curved in on ourselves. So kind of this picture is, I'm just totally focused on me, and this is how I live my life. No matter how good I might be relative to anyone else, I'm the center of my, I'm curved in on myself. I'm the center of my life, and I'm just, this is what I do. And that's how every one of us is born. We're curved in on ourselves. When we become Christians, you stay over there, we, it's a long walk over here, Jason is God, when we become Christians, God enables me to get out of that orbit and into this orbit. And when we ask the Lord to fill us with His Holy Spirit, then He kind of kicks us into moving around here. And now I'm actually in orbit around God. My life has gone from being curved around myself to being curved around God. You've got to pick. Your life is going to wrap around something. It's going to wrap around yourself. Jesus talks in Matthew 6, you can't serve God in money. It might wrap around money. It might wrap around other people. It can wrap around God. You're, that's what you're made to do. You're going to orbit around something. That's how you were created. We were created to be dependent on someone else. God's the creator, and so you're going to orbit around something. Your life is going to wrap around something. It's just a matter of, well, what do you want your life to wrap around? You're born wrapped around yourself. When you become a Christian, God puts you in this orbit. So now you're free to orbit around God. Before you ask to be filled with the Spirit, it's kind of like if you've ever been in an automatic car, you don't hit the gas, but you still move forward. It's just really, really slow. That's kind of like what life is apart from the Holy Spirit. When you ask to be filled with the Spirit, it's like, okay, now you can use the gas pedal. And I'm in orbit around 
God. This is wonderful. Yay, this is great. This is what we want. The problem is, the problem is, as long as you're going to be alive, there's going to be a strong pull to go back that way. This is wonderful and nice and good and yay. This is really strong. And this is everything that we see with our eyes. We live in a culture that says it's okay to marry yourself. That's Do that. We live in a me culture. Everything about our culture is about, it's us. It's all about me. What's in it for me? What's good for me? That's the glasses that we look at when we see the world are me glasses. That's just, that's how we are. Even though we, as Christians, spirit-filled Christians, this is what we're supposed to be doing and this is available to us. There's a strong pull and over time I can easily find myself back here revolving around myself again. Maybe not in every area of life, but in certain areas of life for sure. The pull is really strong. Y'all can sit down. Thanks. So, what I want to talk about today is something that you can do that's very practical that will allow you to stay in this orbit. Again, the, initially all this is a work of grace. It's what God does in our life. But there are things that we can do that, it, that keep us curved around God versus curved around ourselves. Again, the pull is very strong to walk back into orbiting around ourselves. And there's something that we can do, I think, to, to, um, as an antidote, and it's, it's worship. I think worship is probably one of the most practical things we can do to keep our life orbiting around God, to keep our life curved around God versus becoming curved around ourselves. There's probably very few things that we can do as Americans that are more countercultural than to worship. When you worship, what you're doing is you're intentionally turning your focus and attention to another versus yourself. It's the opposite of marrying yourself. When you worship God, it is the opposite of marrying yourself. You're saying, I'm giving you all of my attention and my focus. I'm going to allow my life to be curved around you versus curved around me. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to worship? And I will say worship, just right off the bat, is not singing. Singing is an aspect of worship. It's an expression of worship, but it's not worship. Clapping is an, expre- is an expression of appreciation. Clapping is not appreciation. You look up appreciation in the dictionary, it does not say clapping. That's one of the ways that we express appreciation, but it's not appreciation. One of the ways we worship is through singing. Worship is not singing. That's, the, that's like the big deal. One of the big deals today I want you to get. What worship, if worship is singing, and the only time you sing is here, that's 25 minutes of your week, max. You have 10,000 minutes in your week. That's like 0.25%. I did that math beforehand. That's 0.25%. You're not going to curve around God if you're spending 0.25% of your time focused on Him and 99.75% of your time focused on something else, what are you going to wind up getting wrapped around? It's not going to be Him. It's too hard. Worship has got to be more than singing. Even if you sing an hour a day, which is a long time to sing, if you do that every day, that's still less than 5% of your week. It's just not enough. Worship is more than singing. Now, there is a strong correlation, particularly in Revelation, between worship and and singing, and in Psalms as well, but especially in Revelation, you see those two things tied together. So singing is an expression of worship, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But 
as we talk about it, I don't want you to hear, every time I hear worship, I don't want you to hear what we just did, and that's it. You're going to miss a lot if that's your understanding of what worship is. What we just did is praise. And if you read through Psalms, we're commanded to praise all the time. Um, Psalm 148, um, let me get there real quick. I'll just skim through this. It's kind of a summary of praise. Praise the Lord. Um, Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. So you've got angels, praise God. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. So you've got kind of these celestial bodies praising God. Praise Him, you highest heaven and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. So then you've got fish praising God, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do His bidding. All of those things, the weather praises God. You mountains and all hills, fruit tree—excuse me, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up his people a horn, the praise of all the saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. So there you've got Psalm 148. Pretty much that's everything that's ever been made. Praise the Lord. You're in that. So we're commanded to praise God. Now, praise is not always verbal. The sun doesn't have a mouth, and it can praise God. Stars don't talk, and they can praise God. So there's a way to praise the Lord that doesn't involve your mouth. I can't keep you from praising God by putting masking tape over your mouth. It's more than that. The heart of worship or the essence of worship, the, the basic, most, most basic definition would be expressing God's worthiness through words or actions. Worship is expressing God's worthiness through words and actions. There actually isn't um, a Greek or a Hebrew word. The Old Testament was written in Greek. The New Test- uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. There's no Greek or Hebrew word that exactly parallels our English word worship. Worship comes from some old English word, worthship, which means to declare the worthiness of something. And that's what we're doing in worship. We're declaring the worthiness of God, either by our words or our actions. As a tangent, I would say the way a tree, an oak tree, praises God is by being an oak tree. That communicates the worthiness of God, the majesty of God, the wisdom of God in creating this tree. The way, a sun, the way the sun worships God is by being the sun. When the sun acts according to its created purpose, it is worshiping God. It is communicating to everyone who sees the worthiness of God. When you see how massive the sun is, that communicates the one who made it's even bigger. When you get down into the nitty-gritty of your body and all of the intricacies that God has woven together, that that praises the Lord. It communicates to everyone, God, the guy who did this must have been brilliant the way he knitted all of these things together. So I would say for us, one of the ways you praise God is through your mouth, what you say. The other way is when you do what God has created you to do in the way he's created you to do it. When Nancy is Nancy, that brings praise to God. And when Bo is Bo, that brings praise to God because it testifies to the wonder and the majesty and the love and the power of God. When you try to be who you're not, you're not praising the Lord. Because what you're saying is, the way He made me isn't good enough. 
I've got to be another way. That's the opposite of praise. You're basically kind of backslapping God. We don't, not intentionally, but that's what you're doing. God, you made me this way, that's, but you messed up. You didn't do it right, so I've got to be this way. That's not praising Him. When you act how He created you to act, what you're saying is, yes, you were right. Yes, you did. You do all things well, including me. That doesn't mean you excuse yourself for sin and all that stuff. There's still room to grow, but you get what I'm saying. In general, you being you, doing what God has created you to do, that is praise. That's worship. It's not just singing. Three other concepts in the Bible, kind of three threads of worship. Praise, we just talked about. Um, the other, another idea is this, it's bend the knee. I think that's where we get the word genuflect. Um, bend the knee is another, that word in Hebrew and in Greek is translated worship. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One aspect of worship is expressing an inner humility. It's bending the knee. It's realizing, you know what? It's not, it's not all about me. My life is wrapped around someone greater than myself. And there's some recognition of that that goes into worship, realizing I'm not the king, and I'm not the Lord, and I'm not God, and I'm not the stuff. I might be wonderful, but there's at least one person who's more wonderful than I am. And I'm going to choose to bend my life around him. There's an aspect of humility to worship. Another aspect, and this is what gets closest to our idea of worship, uh, there's a Greek word, and it's the connotation is kissing the ground there's this idea of there's a a visible and concrete expression of worship you see this when the wise men came to worship jesus when he was born they fell on the ground before him and they give him gifts costly gifts there's a tangible a visible a concrete expression of worship it goes beyond just what we say it's what we do there's a people can see you're worshiping him I can see what you're doing because there's a concrete, visible act. And the same thing for us, particularly when you look at this idea of worship being more than just singing. There's, a, there's something tangible to it. There's something people can see. If they couldn't even hear what you're doing, they could see these acts of worship. Giving can be an act of worship, whether that's money or time or your energy. Giving can be an act of worship. If in doing it, you're saying, God, you're worth this. You're worth 10% of my income. You're worth three hours today. You're worth my effort after I've worked all day or whatever. You're worth me giving this energy away. When you're giving, if you're doing it with that attitude, expressing to God that he is worth whatever it is that you're giving, worth this sacrifice, worth this investment, then it's worship. If you're giving because it's expected of you or because you're trying to get something back or to look good in front of other people or because you feel guilty, if you're giving for any of those reasons, it's not worship. It's something else. If you're doing it to show, to, to show God you are worthy of whatever it is that you're giving, well, then suddenly that becomes worship. Another dominant word group when it comes to worship is serve and service. And that can be either religious or kind of your whole life. Luke 2.37 says there was a widow, her name was Anna, who was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting 
and praying. You have this idea that kind of religious work can be worship. Praying, fasting, serving, the, whether it's serving the poor, serving the body of Christ, those things can all be worship. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. There what you have is this, the broadest sense of what it means to worship God. Offer your bodies. Give me your life. Offer your life to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. What you do, whatever you do on Mondays, whether that's full-time mom, teacher, real estate, whatever it is that you do on Monday can be an expression of worship. If you're doing it either to communicate to God how worthy he is or because you get how worthy he is, it's worship doesn't matter whether it's ever done in a kind of a Christian or sacred context. If you're doing whatever it is that you're doing as an expression of God's worthiness, then it's worship. So if anything can be worship, is everything worship? No. The key is what's going on in your heart. Why are you doing whatever it is that you're doing? Jesus criticized the Pharisees in Matthew 15 because of their kind of the way they were practicing their faith. He said, you guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. They were missing it. It it wasn't doing any good. Whatever they were trying to accomplish, it wasn't working because their hearts were messed up. They were putting their own traditions and their own ways above God's ways, and the same thing happens to us. We can do the same thing. And if I'm doing it bent around God, and you're doing it bent around yourself, or if you're doing it bent around God, and I'm doing it bent around myself, the results are completely different. John 4 says God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What that means is it doesn't matter where you worship. There's a, there was an argument, wasn't an argument, there's a lady who was talking to Jesus. She was a Samaritan and she was, they were going back and forth on worship. And she said, well, we worship on this mountain and you guys worship on this mountain. And what Jesus says, it doesn't matter which mountain you're on. That's irrelevant now. God is spirit. And those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. So it doesn't matter where. So it doesn't matter if you're in here or not in terms of worshiping God. That's irrelevant. You'll worship him in spirit and you'll worship him in truth. That means according to who he is. The Samaritans only believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't believe in any of the rest of the Old Testament. They said that stuff's not inspired. This is all we've got. So they only had a partial understanding of who God is. And what Jesus is saying is you guys are missing it. Because you only have a partial understanding of who I am. So that's not, you're not getting it. That's not worshiping God because you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping some misconception of who he is. Same thing can happen to us. God's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And don't just hear me say sing to him in spirit and truth. Will you live your life in a way that communicates to God especially and to others that God is worthy of whatever it is you're giving him? whether that's verbally what you're giving him, whether it's physically what you're giving him, will you communicate materially what you're giving to God? Does what you're doing communicate that God is worthy? Or maybe another way of saying is, what does your gift communicate about the worth of God? Maybe that's another way of saying it. If someone were to look, and this is not, this is going to sound really bad, don't hear me beating on anybody, but if someone were to look and say, oh, they're worshiping God and this is what they're giving, what would they say about God? Huh. Would they say he's 
wonderful and magnificent and marvelous and powerful? Or they say, he must be a chump. What would they say? And that, again, it's not a guilt thing, but it, it works both ways. And if we all commit to saying, you know what, I'm going to worship God regularly, you're going to find yourself bending around him more and more because he's going to get your attention and he's going to get your focus. And what you're saying is, God, you're worth it. And as you say that and do that, you're going to find yourself in orbit around him. Here's a, this is another tangent. God's character is known through his actions. We know who God is because of what God did. The Israelites said, God is my deliverer because God actually delivered them from Egypt. They were slaves and he brought them out. Cross the Red Sea, plagues, you've heard all that story. They could say God is a deliverer because he delivered them. What His character is made known through his actions. Sometimes it can seem kind of righteous and noble to say, I don't care what God does, I'm going to worship him kind of just for who he is or whatever. The reason we know who he is is because of what he's done. And that's all through here. He says, which is one of the awesome things about God compared to other religions, God says, you want to know who I am, look what I've done. I've got a track record here. I'm not just saying, believe me, that I'm a good guy. Look at what I've done. We can say Jesus, we can worship Jesus as a resurrection in the life because he actually was raised from the dead. That would be a dumb thing to say if we didn't know that he was raised from the dead. But he has been. And so we can worship him that way. So never get yourself into a place where you're trying to push aside what God has done. He's saying, look at what I've done. That's how you'll get to know me. You'll see my character through my actions. That's a tangent. When it comes to worship, that's how we know who God is. What's he done in your life? What does this say he's done in the lives of people? You worship him based on this. We don't worship him based on how we feel or what our circumstances look like. That's totally irrelevant. He is who he is regardless of what's going on in my life. My worship of him, whether that's verbal or nonverbal, has nothing to do with what's going on with me. Now, I'm a person, and it sure is a whole lot easier when things are going well. Totally, I get that. But it doesn't change the fact that he's still the same. We sang that. He's the same. And so he's still worthy of worship, and he's still worthy of me telling him that he's worthy, even when things aren't going great for me. This is one of my um, probably, I'd say this is probably my favorite little passage in the Bible. This is Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you've heard this story. They're in blah, 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 bad king. They're in a fiery furnace because they won't worship this king, this statue that Nebuchadnezzar has created. You can go back and read the story in Daniel 3. We don't have time to get into it. They're thrown into the fire, and this is what they say. Nebuchadnezzar's like, listen, guys, y'all, if you worship me, you're done. We'll, we'll get you out of the fire. Everything will be fine. This is how they respond to him. Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is the heart of worship. It doesn't matter what's going on. God is still worth bending my life around. And it doesn't matter what you do to me or what God doesn't do in my life. He's still worth, because of who he is, he's worth me bending my life around. And it's better than anything else you can offer. It's better than bending my life around myself. It's better than me bending my life around money. It's better than me bending my life around your approval, Nebuchadnezzar. It's better than me living, because that's who he is. And so I'm going to stay bent around him 
regardless of what he does in my life. If we can get that into our hearts, if that can be the way that we live, it really doesn't matter what's going on. Of course it does, but at the end of the day, no, it doesn't matter if my circumstances are terrible. If I happen to be in a, in a burning furnace, I'm still going to stay bent around God. If you live that way, that's worship. And then when you come in here to sing, that's great. That'll just be another expression of how you're already living your life, no matter what that is, no matter what that is. One other thing, and then we're going to close. I was thinking about this. What, you know, what does that mean practically? What's one thing? What, what can you do for this to begin to happen? One of the easiest things you can do is just to be thankful. Thanksgiving is another aspect of worship. I, I knew some guys, we still know them, when they were first married, I don't know if they still do this or not. Every night when they got in the bed, they had to tell each other three things they loved about the other. And you couldn't repeat from the night before. Three things I loved about you today, which sounds a little bit corny. But communicating that to somebody every day, if we did the same thing with the Lord, three things I'm going to thank you for today. Just three. And you can't repeat. Maybe you can repeat once a week. So you've got to have a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Three things that you did on Sunday that I can be thankful for. If you begin to do that regularly, you're going to find yourself bending around the Lord. It causes what it does when you're thankful, particularly when things aren't great, and you're thankful, what it does is it takes your focus off yourself and whatever's going on over here, and it puts it on the Lord. It's making you say, this is what you're worth, God. This is where you're worthy. It's forcing you to do that. Every time you choose to thank him for something, it's making you consciously think and say, this is what you're worthy of today. This is what you did that's worthy of my sacrifice or my praise or my time today. So I'd encourage you to do that. That's an easy three things that God, you can be thankful for today. Not in general, but today. You guys can come back up. Y'all can stand. We're going to um, go back and uh, try to worship the Lord here. There are a couple of things that don't have anything to do with what we talked about today, today that I wanted to pray for. Kim, do you have um, some groups who can pray? I don't even know where. Yes. If you're one of Kim's teams, if you'll come up to the front. This is Mother's Day, which is wonderful for some people and terrible for some people. And I want to, uh, as I was praying this morning, there were two groups that I particularly wanted to pray for. If you have an estranged relationship with your mom, doesn't mean you hate her, but it's just not good. If you have a, a, a strained or relationship with your mom, or if you're estranged, or if you're a mom and you have that with one of your kids, we want to pray that God would work in that relationship this year, that next Mother's Day things would be different. And if you're someone who wants to be a mom, but you can't for whatever reason, you're not able to have children, we want to pray for you as well. So um, we're going to worship. We'll have these groups up front. If either of those things kind of stirs your heart, please come forward for prayer. We'll pray for anything else, any other needs that you have as well. God, you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of so much more than we give you in terms of our what we say and what we do. And God, I pray that you would show us this week 
just how worthy you are and that our response would be to worship you, God. Worship's always a response to who you are and to what you've done. And so I pray for those of us maybe who struggle with the whole area of worship. The whole concept just seems foreign. Well, I pray that you would show us who you are and what you've done and that it would flow out of us, this response of worship. God, I pray also for those who are struggling, uh, maybe particularly with their relationship with their moms. God, I pray that today would be a day that healing would begin. In Jesus' name.